greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Winds of Change. I'm your host and Bible teacher, Keith McKenzie. Today we are in session nine of our study on angelology with Pastor Conway Campbell. And today we'll be looking at, in session nine, Satan's power and activity. And in that, I just want to preface this by uh, what the Apostle Paul had to say to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter one, verse 6, and he was talking about uh, teachers, false teachers who were coming in and and preaching another gospel. That whole uh, epistle is about uh, false uh, teachers coming in and saying that they needed to keep the law and in addition to uh, Christ. So religion is always anything plus Jesus uh, would be a Christian religion. So let's go ahead and look at what it has to say here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. It says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, perversion always means to alter from its original intent. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And in the Greek, that is the most emphatic damnation uh, the Apostle Paul puts down, and he again emphasizes here, as we have said before now, and I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, that you what you have received, let him be accursed. And that's Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. So we're going to let Pastor teach us about this because this is, um, uh, you'd be shocked at how many uh, false religions and movements and isms have been started by angels, which we've been saying, but there is a lot of activity uh, in these days, as we'll see over the next few sessions. So Pastor, go ahead, take us in. Everybody should still have a handout. We'll use that for a couple more weeks from last week. We started our look last week at the power and activity of Satan. And we saw that verse, 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his schemes. It's important for us to know what his schemes are and what he's up to and how he will um, come against us. We also saw and we looked at on the letter A there, how he is opposed in relation to God. We saw that he opposes God's person. He does that. His attack is on the character and control of God. We saw that with his attack on Adam. And we also saw how he um, his his uh, he had also attacks God's righteousness through um, Cain and Abel. That situation. And we see how, because God is love and promotes love, Satan, he is hate, and he promotes hate. And, and he's, 
he's opposite in that way, not opposite to God, but in that way. God is life and promotes life, while Satan operates in the realm of death and promotes death. So not only does he oppose God's person, he opposes God's program, the work that God wants to do. You know, he counterfeits God's system of truth by promoting counterfeit religion. So he has um, false ministers out there, um, out, you know, spreading false doctrine. Um, we see that scripture from 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, all uh, propagated by him. And so he also not only is in opposition to God, but let her be there, he, he opposes or, or he relates to the unsaved, not, not in terms of opposing them, but he opposes God by relating to them and using them. And so he, he works with them by preventing the acceptance of the truth. He blinds their mind, the unbelieving. He blinds their mind to the truth. He does that by keeping them from understanding the truth. He keeps them from understanding the rationale of the truth. You know, there are people out there who have a hard time understanding the free gift of salvation. And Satan blinds their eyes. And he directs the course of this world system by, with a philosophy based on pleasure, possessions, and position. We saw pleasure being the lust of the flesh and possessions, the lust of the eyes and position, the boastful pride of life. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love this world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the Father is not in him. So these things of the world aren't from God. They're from Satan. And so God says, do not love the world. Romans 12.2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Luke 8.12, those beside the road are those who, who are saved. In terms of Satan snatching word from their heart, it says those beside the word are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So the Word of God, along with the Holy Spirit, brings along salvation. We looked at that issue of just like with birth, we have two parents. There are two parents in salvation, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So when the Word is sown, He comes and He snatches it away. And So that's why there's an urgency in receiving the Gospel. And so God always encourages people to respond and not to put off um, receiving the Gospel. You know, when somebody keeps saying, maybe, you know, there comes a point where God gives the devil permission to come and take the seed. And they may cross that point where they could never get saved again. So that's where we left off last week. Um, and um, we're under letter B under small d. And we see under D there that he opposes the progress of the gospel. He opposes the progress of the gospel. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Paul had just been commissioned to go out, and um, just like missionaries, they're commissioned to go out. They go out and they start churches, and then they find elders to then take over those churches. Um, but in Acts 13, verses 4 and 5, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. So in verse 5 here, when it says they had, they had John here as their helper, this is John Mark, and this is John Mark here who deserted them after a little while. And look at verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. 
a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elumas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposed was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So we see an illustration here. Um, Paul and Barnabas were out preaching the gospel. And people were getting saved, and God was working in that situation. And then there comes this man, Bar-Jesus, and he opposes what they're doing. So when, when we do what God wants us to do, there's always going to be opposition. So this is an illustration here of the opposition that's out there. We can expect opposition when we're doing what God wants us to do. Always happens. And so this happens with Satan. He wants to slow down the gospel. And so he will send things in to um, oppose us. Um, letter E there, he, oppo- he oppresses the unsaved. He oppresses the unsaved. This is uh, a very direct oppression. Number one, he oppresses them through lust. Remember Romans 1, 24 to 28, Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for which, for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the women, burning their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to their depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. So the body is the major issue in verse 24, um, where um, their bodies would, he says, um, he gave them over to, in the lusts of their hearts, so their bodies would be dishonored among them. And then in verse 26, their heart is the major um, Focus, major issue there, the passions of their heart and their mind in verse 28. If you remember Romans 1.32, that says, And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also gave hearty approval to those who practice them. And so God abandoned them. And so since um, they have lost total control, he left them over to their father. And he's not their father since they're unsaved. Satan's their father. Number two, he oppresses them through sickness. He oppresses them through lust and he oppresses them through sickness. You know, people have been made dumb. People have had physical deformities. People have had epilepsy. People have had diseases that have been brought on by Satan. And so he oppresses them in that way. Number three, he oppresses them through mental illness. You know, a lot of the cases of mental illness out there is by means of demonic possession, I believe. And a lot of those people we see locked away in um, institutions. But he will, he will uh, oppress people that way. Let's look at Mark chapter 5. Starting in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes, when he had got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. 
Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying, Come out of me, out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send him, them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirit entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the sea bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And so we see his, his insanity here in, in, this, in this passage was, was due to the fact of, of, of demon possession. Over in Mark 9, we see something similar in verse 20. Uh, where it says, they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately spirit threw him into a convulsion and fallen to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, he asked his father, how long has he been like, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both in the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help, help us. And so this boy was suicidal because of uh, demonic power. And so we see how he oppresses people in that way. Number four, he oppresses his own people through death. Now, he can't do this on his own. You know, God gives permission. Only when God allows that to happen can Satan actually cause somebody's death. If you look at Revelation chapter 9... Um, we see an example here where, where God would allow this. In Revelation 9, verse 13, this is the, the sixth trumpet. It says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released, so they would kill a third of the mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen were 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates of color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceeded fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails for their tails are like serpents and they have heads and with them they do harm and so this is a satanic army here and God gives them permission to take lives the third of the mankind here as we see questions or comments before we move on to letter C okay C Satan's oppression in relation to the saved so he opposes God he, he, he relates to the un, unsaved, and he also relates to the saved here. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to defeat believers. And so he'll oppose believers in their personal life, and he'll also oppose believers in our service to God. So as we look back at, at, at knowing his schemes and his methods, you know, we'd be wise knowing those things and to learn how to stay clear of it. So number one there is Satan entices Christians to sin. We see that. And how does he do that? He, he tempts Christians to lie. Satan tempts Christians to lie. And so we can expect that from him. 
What's one of his names that we saw in that sheet there? Jesus called him the what? The father of lies. And so, you know, everything about him comes from his nature. And, and his, his nature is lying. So we, we could expect that he would want to um, tempt Christians to do the same thing that's part of his nature. John 8:44 says you are the fa- you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he's a liar and the father of lies. And so um, then in Revelation 22 we see a description of those who won't be in heaven. He says, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. So it doesn't mean that a Christian won't lie. It just means that a, a, you know, a Christian won't love doing it and practice doing it. It says these people, people love it. You know, Someone who's saved wouldn't love lying as a sin. It wouldn't just be a practice for us anymore because we'd be changed. We wouldn't love lying or we wouldn't love any sin for that matter because of our change. And so remember, you think of a good example of a Christian who lied or Christians. Acts 5. Yeah, from the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira. Do you know friends personally? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You probably just hit that or went through that a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, that's yeah, 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 and that's a that's a good example. And, and we saw what the results. Ha- you know, what did it say that everybody feared God? You know, after that, after they saw the results. Um, you know, so we see that was in Acts five. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And kept back some of the price for himself with the full, his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? And so the idea is he didn't have to give any of it. He didn't have to sell it. You know, he could have sold it and kept it all. He made, but he made a, he made a pro- pledge. He made a promise. And so when we as Christians lie... We're saying that God doesn't have a right to rule our lives. And, and you know, we, we, we sometimes lie to make ourselves look better. Or we sometimes lie to make other people look, other person look worse. And so, but if we believe that God is sovereign and, and we don't need to cover for our sins, it's God that who is sovereign. There's no reason to lie. You know, we were talking about this in, in um, uh, Sunday school class. We were talking about Rahab. Um, and how she um, had the two spies, and, and she, she lied for them. And, and, and so the point was that if she didn't lie, God could have protected them, and he probably would have. You know, and so you know, we're discussing that, that, that whole issue. Is there ever a justified lie? You know, and, um, and, and there really isn't. Even though we come to the conclusion that you know, if somebody breaks into your house and says, where's your family, I want to kill them, that probably everybody would say, oh, they went to Walmart. You know, they'll be gone. You know, we probably all would say that. But, but at the same time, you know, God's sovereign and God can protect however we want. So we don't need to lie to cover for those things. And so, huh? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that making that pledge or no, like sometimes you go to the maybe one of these large several church group meetings with uh, an evangelist and say, okay, now everybody's going to memorize two verses of scripture every day for the rest of your life. Now raise your hand if you're going to do that. Yeah. I, I'm very careful about <clears throat> pledging to those things. Yeah. You can't always keep that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember um, there was a, I was just thinking of this example from the old constitution um, uh, uh, where it said something like, um, you, as a member, you must, you know, if you're going to be a member, you must pray for your pastor every single day. You remember that line? What did it say? Yeah, but it's something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense to have something more like not that people don't like to pray for me, but um, but it's more like we'll make every effort or you know best attempt something like that. Exactly, exactly. Um, that's the idea. I think that's what it says now or something like that. But um, but so we we have to be careful about those kind of things because we could say yes, I vow to do that when we take that right hand of fellowship, and and then we break it one day, you know, and and so. So we have, we have to be we have to be careful with that, and uh, yeah, yeah. Lord, take my life and let it be. Yeah, yeah. She's being truthful, right? Yeah. She's like, I can only do part right now. I can't make any promises. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know it's it's a serious thing, and God's merciful nonetheless. You know, so we we take these vows sometimes and we forget about them and. And yet, he's merciful. You know how many times people say, you know, if you get me out of the situation, you know, I'm going to serve you. Or, you know, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And God gets them out of it, and they forget about it right after. And he did. Right. Yeah. Getting upset, huh? Oh, you know, I'm happy, even to the soldiers. Yeah. And um, and so then when Mark came, he said, "Don't worry about it." Evidently, he had bought some car tires from some guy, which you always buy from people on the street. Mm-hmm. And that guy had stolen them. Ah. Uh. You know, but you know, see, my houseboy was right. In, he's in our house and with us all the time, but he knew I wouldn't lie mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people people observe that. So you know we get into difficulty, and sometimes we're tempted to lie to get out of it, and um, it's a it's a lack of trust um, of God. Let her be there. He tempts Christians to sexual sin. He tempts Christians to sexual sin. Turn to First Corinthians chapter seven.
Look at uh, verse 3. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So this is a passage that teaches on marriage here, at least on my Bible, the headings teaching on marriage. is isn't inspired, but that's the, the section um, that we're dealing with. And so... For people who aren't married, God gives the grace. God gives the grace. But if you're married, the idea here is that if either spouse withholds from the other, that they're setting up the person for temptation in this area. He says that, you know, come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of uh, self-control. And so this is one of his key ploys. And this is one of the things that he, he plays on here. It's the lust of the flesh that we, we, we looked at earlier. You know, the lust of the flesh is doing things that shouldn't be done in the realm of the physical. And so our whole society is set up around this. And this is how our society built, and it's, you know, it's getting worse. You know, Monica tells me all the time, because I don't go to grocery stores, actually. I was talking to my secretary the other day, and I, I couldn't think of the last time I went to the grocery store. It probably was like four months, five, six months, seven, I don't know. I couldn't. It's, yeah, I don't go. <laughs> I try not to go to stores. But she tells me all the time, she asks them to remove magazines, you know, and maybe she's going through with the kids and there's certain magazines at certain levels and, and she asks them and, and she goes back the next day and it's the same place, you know. And, and, um, and so that's how things are set up for, for, for that kind of um, attraction. So we have to be careful in that realm. You know, it comes home in catalogs, you know, it's in television, it's in books, you know, you name it. So it's, it's there um, in all the realm. And so he knows, Satan knows, um, if he can start to weaken our thought life, then he can weaken us in the physical. And so that's why we see women, for example, hooked on soap operas. You know, there's something about that romantic dimension of soap operas, you know, that meet the romantic needs of how God made women. You know, and so we could see... You know, where a woman will see these relationships on TVs and then she will think, you know, that should be how my husband is. And, and they may start thinking this is the way marriage should be. And then it could eventually lead to dissatisfaction with their husbands because they see that unreal relationship on TV. And it starts with a thought. And the same thing happens with men in the realm of pornography. You know, the thought is planted in, 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 in their heads that, um, why can't my wife look like this? Well, why can't my wife do this? And, and the thought then leads to dissatisfaction with their wives and it leads to many destructive behavior. And we see this rampant across the world um, today, you know, in certain countries where, you know, certain things are legal that aren't here. And even certain parts of this country where certain things are legal. And, and that's a big business, um, the, the um, adult industry and so forth, huge business. And so it, he, he knows um, how to mess with people's thoughts and how to lead to destruction. So he tempts in this area of sexual sin. Let us see. He tempts Christians to become preoccupied with this world. He tempts Christians to become preoccupied with this world. Um, turn to 1 John 2. Actually, we've, we've looked at this one. And you know it. You can turn there if you like where it says... Do not love the world nor the things of this world. Remember, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so this is a clear warning for us that the things of this world are just vapors. You know, they're temporary. You know, so if we love these things and we, we, we're cleaving to these things of the world, they're going to they're gonna disappear. You know, when this life's over, they're gone. You know, they have no eternal value. They're just temporary. You know, so we're not to love these things and put our all into them. We're to put our, our all into eternal things. You have a question? Okay. Letter D there. He tempts uh, the Christians to rely on human wisdom and strength. He tempts the Christians to rely on human wisdom and strength. Remember the situation with David in Second Chronicles 12 when he numbered the people? Um, and God didn't want him to do that. God didn't want him to um, rely on his or, or, or human effort or human merit. And so David started thinking, well, let's number and see what would happen. God wanted him to depend only on him. In Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, that shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. So our interests needs to be God's interests. You know, in the case of David where he numbered the people, he needed to seek God and see God, you know, I'm going to depend on you. You know, or, or you know, we need to examine our interests and make sure that they are God's interests and, and, and make sure they are not just things that we're holding on to. Letter E there, he tempts Christians to be proud in spiritual matters. He tempts Christians to be proud in spiritual matters. You know, this is an important one, especially in, in, um, in leadership. You know, we've see, seen that verse before from 1 Timothy 3.6. We're talking about elders, and he says, not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the, the condemnation incurred by the devil. Which sum up what the devil fell into as pride. And somebody who's a new convert going into the elder role may feel too much authority or too much power and become conceited and become prideful and fall. And so um, the authority there could go to um, his head. Another way that he does this is by making people feel proud so that they don't want to learn. You know, sometimes, um, um, you know, somebody might hear a certain topic and they say, you know what, I've learned this before. I've been a Christian for 80 years and I've studied this 50 times. And they're not open to learning anything new, you know, um, or maybe it's in Sunday school. You know, maybe feel like I've gone through that subject or I've gone through that topic. I've studied this before. I know it. But a lot of that is pride and it's a direct temptation from Satan. Because God always has something new that he wants to, to teach from the world, from, from the word. And our, our um, 
older saints here could probably tell us that after years and years of studying the Bible, there's probably new things that just keep coming out, you know, year after year after year. Right, Sadipta? So the, the, the idea is <laughs> that there's always something new that we could learn um, from God's Word. And Satan tempts us to be proud in those areas. Maybe some people don't come to these Sunday night things because they feel as if I've taught it, I've studied it, I don't need to learn it anymore. I don't know. I don't really don't know. Um, letter F, he tempts Christians to become discouraged. He tempts Christians to become discouraged. Turn to First Peter. We'll wrap up with this. First Peter five. First Peter five. Look at verse six. It is therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. Cast in all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be of sober mind. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so Peter is exhorting us here to, to cast all our cares on God. Why? Because our adversary, he says, is prowling around. And, and so he personalizes it, personalizes it. He says, your adversary, the devil. It doesn't mean that it's not Peter's adversary, but he, he's, he's adverse to all Christians. He's all of our adversary. So sometimes he gets us to think that God doesn't care. You know, Satan does. You know, he said, if, if he really cared... You wouldn't be going through the suffering or this difficulty that you're going through right now. Just like in the garden. Did God really say? You know, he starts to put those doubts in there. But God says, cast all your cares on him. And so, but when we don't do that, and we start to, to carry it ourselves, we set ourselves up for a spiritual attack from Satan. You know, if we don't cast it on God. Because we stop thinking about the Lord and only about um, our, our cares. You know, our minds focus somewhere else. It's not focused on the Lord. We don't cast those worries. We don't cast those cares on Him. And we're thinking only about those cares. And then in verse 8, it says, um, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so, it says that He wants to devour us. You've probably seen this before. What does devour mean? You know, it means to... To drink down. You know, here he is. He's out there. He, he wants to drink us down. You know, he's thirsty for, for, for us and pulling us out of service with God. So that's his goal with us. So we need to respect his power. You know, you know he has some strong powers. You know, by, by no means am I an electrician. Um, but, you know, I could do a couple things. You know, I'll wire outlets and switches and lights and stuff like that. I don't actually connect things to panels. That's, I know my limit. Um, there's a, there's a, you know, I'll do certain things, and then the college will come, and the electrician will connect to the panel or something like that. But um, I have a healthy fear of electricity. 
you know, I, I will, you know, I have a tester in my, my kit. And I'll go to the circuit breaker. One of the things about he, even here at the church, there's so many circuit breakers and you just don't know. And you have to be very careful here. But like in the house, I turn it off in that circuit and I test it just to make sure with the little probes. And then I have one that plugs in, that lights up, just to make sure because I have this healthy fear. I don't want, you know, Monica to find a dead preacher somewhere in the house. And so there's this healthy fear of electricity. And Satan has a lot of power, kind of like electricity was. And so we have to we have to respect him, but we shouldn't fear him. We need to have a respect of that power and know what he's capable of, his methods and his schemes. But don't fear him, but just respect him. First Peter 5, 9 says, But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So when we carry the weights of the world on us and we don't cast them on the Lord, then we are setting ourselves up for, the, for an attack. So we need to cast our cares on the Lord and, and depend on Him alone and, and not set ourselves up for attack in this way. So let's, let's stop there for tonight. Are there any comments or questions? Yes, Maya. D? Okay. Do you, are you missing any others? Okay. All right. All right. Anything else? sink. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Any other questions or comments? Father, thank you for the gift of salvation. We pray, Lord, that you'll dismiss us with your blessing. And Lord, give us opportunities, Lord, this week, even today, Lord, to share our faith with someone. Pray for basketball tonight, Lord, that um, will be another opportunity for the unsaved men, Lord, to interact, Lord, and thank you for how well that league's going and uh, the good fun that we have and uh, the influence on all these men. So thank you, Lord, and we pray that you'll just give us safety as we go in Christ's name. Thank you again, Pastor, for another informative uh, session here on uh, our theological series with Pastor Conway Campbell on angelology, which is the study and doctrine of angels, which the Bible, as you've been learning over the last nine sessions, has quite a bit to say. Uh, we just want to remind you that if you want to stay up to date with uh, these studies as we add them, because we have multiple uh, studies going on at the same time, uh, you can subscribe to uh, Winds of Change. Uh, through our iTunes account. You can find all of these on our website through the social media um, gadget that we have in there. And that is, our website is www.amos, A-M-O-S, and the number is 37. So it looks like amos37.com. And uh, you can find us there. Uh, if you want to get involved in some of the forums that we have on Facebook, you can find us also there. 
We have a lot of things going up. There's a lot going on. Stay up to date. God bless you. And we'll see you next time with session 10 when we will be looking at the reality of demons and fallen angels. And uh, there's a lot of important stuff there to see, especially with uh, some of the things that are going on uh, in and around masking raiding themselves as ministers. And uh, just, I mean, we are warned and admonished as believers not to be deceived. And, and that would be the uh, high watermark of the end times would be deception and how uh, angels and doctrines of demons will play a large role in that. And we are reminded by scripture not to overlook the pulpits uh, for where uh, Satan's ministers might be, as we have covered before in 2 Corinthians. And until next time, this is Keith McKenzie. May God richly bless you as you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of him.